Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Chapter 4 of Philippians begins with the word, therefore. In other words, it associates the previous thought with what's coming next. He's going to build upon this idea that if we get to have new bodies from God, that's our goal, our prize that we get, and our citizenship isn't down here. I live in this world, but I have a heavenly citizenship. And the Bible tells us, Jesus said, he calls us to be lights to this world, that his light would shine through us. We are ambassadors for Christ. Say you're an ambassador to another country. You get assigned to France. You're from America, but you're the U.S. ambassador to France. If you go to France, they'll have a little compound there, and it'll be the place where the ambassador lives. And they say that actual piece of land, even though it's in France, is designated for the U.S. ambassador to live. It's like U.S. soil, but abroad. Even though he's literally living in the middle of France, is he a French citizen just because he's staying in France? No, he's a U.S. citizen assigned the job of representing the United States over in France. And we need to remember we are heavenly citizens assigned the job of representing the Lord, his kingdom, here on earth. We're like the representative, just like the ambassador would be to the nation that he sent to. Wherever God sends us, we're to be an ambassador for his kingdom. And then he says, chapter 4, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my crown and my joy, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. In this way. Now, here's the way. I urge Yodiah and I urge Suntake to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement, and also the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life, rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. So here Paul is writing, and then he says, And let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Now this is interesting to me because here he commands him, You're my joy, my crown, is this church at Philippi. By the way, Philippi... It was the second largest Roman city of the day. Rome was, of course, the first. It had a lot of the worldly conveniences being brought back and forth, passing through Philippi. Philippi saw a lot of modern advances for their time. If there was aqueducts being built in Rome to bring water, they were building them in Philippi. They were real close to the nerve center of Rome in getting those advances. They weren't considered backwards in culture. We would say the modern culture of the day. Philippi was a happening place to be. But here it is, the happening place to be. The church is growing, and he's just told them, you got to just keep pressing on. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get trapped in the past. To say to someone who's in a modernistic city, don't get trapped in the past, you'd think, well, they don't do that because they're modern, right? But he wasn't talking about the inventions of the day. He was talking about people getting stuck in their past. And so he says, now I urge you. And the first thing he has to do is urge two women, by name, by the way. 
Yuadaya means pleasant, fragrant. Now the other gal, Suntike means with fate. It would be the equivalent of us saying, your name is destiny, because you're destined for great things. And what's he got to do to encourage these people at this church? I find it very ironic. Press on. And oh, by the way, get along. He doesn't say it that way. He says, I urge you to live, you too, oh fragrant one and oh destined one with a beautiful fate. I encourage you to live in harmony in the Lord. Why do you have to tell someone to live in harmony at church? Don't we do that automatically? Isn't that what we should always be doing? Living in harmony? I mean, shouldn't Christians live in harmony all the time? We should. But see, this is why I take great comfort. It's in the Bible right here. Written to the people by name. Now, I don't know that I would want my name mentioned in this particular paragraph, which tells me they weren't living in harmony. If Paul is hearing all the way from prison that these two ladies are going at each other, and then he kind of pulls in some of the respectable guys there in Philippi to urge them to get these girls to get along. Look at verse 3. He says here, Indeed, true companion. Now, we don't know who he's talking about, the true companion. I bet you Paul has someone in Philippi that he really identified with. Maybe it was his nickname for this fellow, the true companion. He says, Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel. So now he's telling one of the fellows, or maybe it's one of the gals. doesn't say this in a way that I can tell you whether it's male or female. In the Greek, it could be either one. So I don't know. Maybe there's another gal saying, step in and help these two. Sometimes it just takes the right person, doesn't it, to get two other people to get along? And Paul is invoking them. He's saying, you help them. And together, together, now he doesn't just send in this person by themselves. He sends them in with an extra person, Clement. Oh, that's a good Greek word, by the way. I only do this because I think names have a little bit of influence the way we are. And Clement, Clementine is the feminine. It means little merciful one or mild one. Mild or merciful is what Clement means in Greek. So if you don't think our behavior is noted and observed and even gets passed along to faraway places, you're fooling yourself. Whether we like it or not, people watch us. Even the non-Christians will tell the Christians, you're not supposed to live like that, are you? I thought you are a Christian. And I'm like, why? Are you trying to live like falling in love? Oh, no, not me. But you're not supposed to do that. I'm pretty sure that's in the good book. It's like they know what we're supposed to do. If we mess up, they're going, no, I'm bad, bad. You hypocrites. But see, Paul's not saying they're hypocrites. He's saying they have a struggle. And he's saying they need some help. You guys go help them. Now, sometimes when people aren't getting along... The reaction of people in church isn't to go help them. What I see Paul saying to this church is, hey, get them on course right away. Nip that in the bud. Send in the help. And not only does he send in Clement, I want you to notice the end of verse 3, but also send in the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. 
How many people should get involved in helping some people when they're not getting along? When they're not living in harmony? Fogos, uh, and the rest of you guys whose names are in the book of life. In other words, the believers, this is all your problem. When two people are not living in harmony in the church, it can cause such division. It can blow apart a church. You know, just two people in a fight over some petty little thing. Well, uh, we were going to do the love feast according to alphabetical order. A through M, you guys bring the main dishes, and N through Z, you bring the side dishes and desserts. And I've seen people make fights over nothing. It's like, what? Your last name is it with an O. You weren't supposed to bring a main dish. But do people get petty over little things? Sure. And should the rest of the believers help the ones that are getting petty? Yes. They should come along and say, Hey, I urge you, just live in harmony. Let it go. And then he tells them, Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, they might have been cranky about something. I don't know. And they might not be rejoicing in whatever the circumstances. We can't always rejoice in our circumstances, can we? But Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. But it's important that we rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes our circumstances aren't good. But the Lord is always good. And Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. When you don't have any joy, your strength goes down. And people don't even recognize it's such a simple correlation. You know, when they're full of joy, they're like, we can do it. They can tackle mountains. I mean, it's like, it's okay. The Lord's with us. It's just, yay. But when they're not rejoicing in the Lord, they're like, I feel weak. I feel run down. I'm just, I'm just not happy. Life's not good. And it's because they're focusing on their circumstance, not on the Lord. So, again, Paul is redirecting our attention back to the prize, the Lord. He's the source of our joy. And then he said, let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Remember, when we think of the Lord being near to us, I believe it helps our whole behavior improve. When we forget the Lord is near, sometimes we don't really walk the way we should so this reminder is really good be gentle in spirit let your gentle spirit be made known to all men now he's going to end with two verses here this thought verses six and seven he's going to say be anxious for nothing and he's going to actually give the cure if you ever feel anxious or anxiety you're going to love verse six he says be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human comprehension, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of the best things to guard us, really guard our heart and our mind, is God's peace. It guards us. And His peace it guards in a way that nothing else can. When the peace of God comes on you, it's good for my heart. But how do I get that peace when I'm struggling with things? Well, he told me in the verse before. 
He said, don't be anxious for anything. In everything that I face, he says, pray. With prayer and petition, supplication, that means giving your request to God with thanksgiving, he says. You always be thankful. I try to always stress to my kids, attitude of gratitude. If they come and they ask for something with an attitude of gratitude, how does it improve their odds for getting their request? I'm just talking as an earthly parent. If your kids come and they're grateful and they and they just ask you for things and they show that heart of gratitude, don't you just want to bless them with things? But see, some people, they go to God with, I had a problem you don't do nothing. And I'm thinking, man, you haven't even said thank you for nothing. You're lucky you got air in your lungs that you woke up this morning, that you're breathing. Did you ever stop and just say, thanks God that I'm still drawing a breath and that you've kept me alive and that you let me have this day, that I could have this day maybe to see my kids or my grandkids or to see my friend. You're here for a purpose. We could say thank you. Now, he says, if you would make in everything, everything you face, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. And what will happen when you tell God about all the stuff? He will give you his peace. A peace that is beyond all human comprehension. I mean, there's not even enough words to explain how great the peace that God gives to our hearts and to our minds. When our mind is all, oh, anxious and thinking about running, racing and going around like a pinball machine with a ball, sometimes the thoughts are, and we just need God to put his peace on us, to guard us, to guard our heart, to guard our minds. And Paul says, this is the cure for anxiety. The cure is just to pray with thanksgiving about everything, whatever you're facing. Just pray, God, I need some help. And you know what's funny is when we face hardships, I never have to coach people to pray. They do it automatic. Oh, God, help. We're in trouble. I don't want to urge them to remember like the Old Testament teaches us. Israel was an example for us. It said Israel was told over and over and over not to forget to pray. But not when times are bad. They ne never talks about that. You know when it says not to forget to pray? When times are good. When you're doing good and you're at ease in your house and you're eating from your tree which you didn't plant and God has blessed your life. It says, don't forget to pray then. Give thanks to God. Now if you turn with me to James, the end of chapter 3 of James, just like we did the end of chapter 3 of Philippians, and you go from the end of 3 like we just did into the beginning of chapter 4, like we just did, you're going to see that even though this is written by two different fellows, Paul wrote from prison to the church at Philippi. James, this is believed to be the half-brother of Jesus. Okay, I say half-brother because same mom but different dad, the Joseph. Now, this isn't proven that this is the James is the half-brother. This is just most theologians agree that he is. Because it could have been James the Lesser, another James, in the scripture, but it's most likely the one that was the half-brother of Jesus. The one, that remember, that said to Jesus, well, if you're really the Messiah, if your dad is really God, why don't you go up to the temple and reveal yourself at the feast to everyone? And Jesus said, it's not yet my time. But his own brother is like goading him. Go on. 
show yourself to be the Messiah. We had to hear the stories our whole lives. You know how brothers can pick at each other. It's funny because if that indeed is this fella, his tune has changed a bit. When he writes this in chapter 3, in verse 13, he says, Who among you is wise in understanding? He says, Let him show in his good behavior, in his deeds, and in gentleness of wisdom. Now, didn't Paul just say, to let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. And here's James. Whoever's wise, any one of you guys feel wise? He says, okay, show it in your behavior. Show in your behavior that good behavior in your deeds with gentleness of wisdom. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your heart, he says, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. That wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. You know, whenever someone's selfishly ambitious or they're jealous, that's not from God. That's from downstairs. Okay, that's that's from this world. This world came up with that junk. And he says, for wherever jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there's disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable and gentle, and it's reasonable, full of mercy and of good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What did Paul just have to tell those two gals to do? To live in harmony. Very same thing that James says, is the thing that comes from above, the peace. Now he goes on. He says, what's the source of quarrels? Chapter 4 of James, verse 1. And the conflicts, which, what, what, what's causing them? He says, is not this source of quarrels your own pleasures that wage war in your members? He says, you lust, and you do not have, so you commit murder. And you're envious, and you can't attain, so you fight, and you quarrel. And you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you could spend it on your own pleasures. He says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose that God jealously desires the spirit which he made to dwell in us. He gives us a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. The devil will flee from you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Isn't that beautiful? He's got to say, buzz off, devil. I'm going to draw near to God. And when we do, God draws near to us. Cleanse your hands, he says, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded and be miserable, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves. He's talking about the worldly sense. you got to stay humble. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will exalt you. He'll lift you up. And do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you're a judge of the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. And there's only one lawgiver, one judge, who's able to save and destroy. 
But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, this is really good to remember. Who is the judge? The true judge. Jesus. He says, come now, you say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in a business and make a profit. And yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, verse 15 says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. You know, we get full of ourselves and we get focused on ourselves and we get all our revelations about what we want, our own lusts, what we are craving and desiring. And, and we stop looking at the picture from God's perspective. All about me, me, me. And James says whenever you do that, that's the very source of all your quarrels. That's why they were fighting. See, Paul didn't tell me what the girls were fighting about. He just said they needed to get along. What do you think they were fighting? I mean, what would two Christian women fight about in a church? We don't know what they were fighting about. Boy, I find it interesting the scripture doesn't have to tell us what they were fighting about. Just the fact that they were fighting tells me somebody had their eyes not on the prize. When I say the prize, I mean on the Lord and on the things above. They had let their focus come down to here, and that's when we get in trouble. James writes the same wisdom. Be humble. Humble yourself. And what will the Lord do? Lift you up. Keep your focus, he says. Keep your eyes on that prize above. And he said, don't you know you can't be friends with this world? Didn't Paul say our citizenship was from above? By the way, when the ambassador goes to live in another country and serve at the embassy, does he own the embassy? Is he supposed to buy property in France when he's the ambassador from the U.S. and make a little house and make himself comfortable because he's just planning on living out his whole days? No, he's only a visitor. And what he needs is provided from his own country for his stay while he's assigned to be the ambassador. But when his ambassadorship is done, what happens to the fellow that is sent over as ambassador? He's called back. Come back to your home country. If we would think about our visit to this earth as we're just ambassadors, we're just visiting. And someday we're going to be called home to be with the Lord. Would it change how we behave down here? If I really thought this through, I, my touch with the things of this world would be light. It's going to be more about the relationships that I develop with the people. I can have that relationship even when I go back home. Well, this is how it works in our case. Our citizenship is from above. One thing, I can't take a single physical item out of this world with me to heaven. There's no U-Haul behind the hearse. When you go off to the you don't get to take your stuff with you, do you? All gets left behind. And I am amazed as a pastor to see what people do with other people's stuff when that person dies. I mean, what was so important to that person while they were alive, the kids go, ah, piece of junk, throw it away. And so I realized the stuff, the physical stuff, this is all temporal. But there is one thing I can take out of this life, I found out, with me into the next life. And you know what that is? 
It's not a tangible physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's the souls of people that I can share the gospel with. If I can share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Christ and they come to the Lord, then someday when our number's called, we're both going to go be with the Lord. And when we get to heaven, I'll be able to go, I got to take that one, the relationship I made with that soul into the next life. We're going to have a big reunion, guys. When we get to heaven, we ain't going to be like, all those people that we got to have influence in our faith with, it's going to be a happy day. So when we go over this stuff, if I can encourage you, let's keep the focus on the Lord and the things that last forever. People are way more valuable than stuff. And yet our society says stuff is so important. And it makes people like they're nothing. They're disposable. They hire them for a job, they fire them from the job. They don't care about investing in the person and helping cultivate the person and what we would consider genuine brotherly love for our fellow brother in this world. But see, we can do these words if we stay humble and keep our eyes on the prize. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.